Nearly a decade after 32-year-old Rebecca Zahau was found dead, her lifeless body hanging from the window of a guest bedroom at her boyfriend's multi-million dollar mansion, questions still remain about what happened, how she got there, and why. What really happened to her? Although Rebecca's family vowed to go to the ends of the earth for those answers, the reality is they may never find them. The truth about what happened the night of July 11, 2011 may be buried with Rebecca. She very well could be the only person who truly knows what she endured in her final moments, the moments leading up to her body leaving the balcony of that glamorous California mansion. What was going through Rebecca's mind in those brief seconds before she fell? If this was suicide, was she at peace with her decision to end her life? A victim of her own depression and grief? A victim of the unbearable guilt she felt over an accident that happened to her boyfriend's six-year-old son on her watch? Or was that just the straw that broke the camel's back on top of her pain from feeling like nothing more than a glorified nanny? Was she a victim of her own mind and hand, or was she the victim of someone else? Her family is still left wondering, what was the very last thing Rebecca saw before she went over that railing? Did she stare into the nothingness of the night, waiting for the peace she hoped she'd find by ending her own life? Or did she look into the eyes of her killer, a killer who for all these years has gotten away with murder? The sad truth is we may never know. When police arrived the next morning at the mansion, Rebecca, a young woman, a woman with beauty and brains, a woman who just hours before was making future plans, lay nude and limp on the perfectly manicured lawns of the glamorous Spreckles Mansion. Now you've heard me refer many times to, quote, making future plans, close quote. I keep referring to that because I'm profiling a suicidal individual, an individual at high risk for harming themselves. And she just did not fit the mold, at least not perfectly, because people that are high risk for suicide have red flags. And one of those red flags is they don't have forward thinking. They don't have plans. They tend to see themselves as a burden to others. There are just a lot of things that are usually there for people at risk for suicide that did not appear to be there for Rebecca Zahal. And I say appear to be there because people are not always transparent about everything they're thinking and feeling. The final image her family would see of her was an aerial photo taken by a news crew helicopter and it showed her naked body tied with red rope a gag removed from her mouth. What story does that photo tell? To her family, it does not tell one of suicide, it tells one of murder, but to the police, it shows a woman, no matter how bizarre, who took her own life and did it alone. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. 
Despite police ruling Rebecca's death a suicide and despite years of investigations, her family's burning questions remain to this day. If Rebecca committed suicide, why and how did she get naked? Tie her own hands behind her back with sailor's knots. Bind her feet together first with duct tape and then with rope. Gag herself with a t-shirt, place a noose around her neck and throw herself over the edge. There's been a lot of talk about just one footprint being on this balcony. But oftentimes when you put together a crime scene, you have to pay as much attention to what isn't there as you do what is there. Was there significance in the absence of evidence of others being on that balcony, in that room? Was there evidence that it had been wiped clean because there weren't fingerprints and DNA of other people in a room where other people clearly trafficked? You just have to look at what isn't there as well as what is there. Now, although it appeared Rebecca was living a life in the lap of luxury, she was dating a millionaire, pharmaceutical tycoon, and living in his gorgeous 27-room beachfront mansion, was she secretly so miserable and on edge that when tragedy struck and her boyfriend's son fell and she found out he was likely going to die? She was finally just overwhelmed. Had she felt barely tolerated before and now knew it would all come tumbling down. For now, Rebecca's story comes to an end with a dramatic trial for wrongful death with Adam Shackney accused by Rebecca's family of murdering her in cold blood, taking the stand and insisting he is innocent. For now, her story ends with this trial, but Rebecca's family swears the story is far from over. The family says she died at the hands of Adam Shackney, the brother of Rebecca's boyfriend, Jonah. Adam, a tugboat pilot, was the one who reported Rebecca dead. She was found hanging from a balcony, naked, her wrists and ankles bound with ropes. My family and I have been fighting every day for the last seven years to try to bring Adam Shacknai to court. I believe that Adam Shacknai murdered my sister all along. This is Mansion of Secrets, the mysterious death of Rebecca Zahal. After years of suspicion and blame, everything finally came to head in court. But it was not a criminal case, not a murder case like Rebecca's family had always hoped. There was no defendant being led away in an orange jumpsuit, handcuffs, and shackles. There was just testimony from all the parties involved, from a neighbor to a handwriting and fingerprint expert, to those who saw Rebecca acting strangely in the hours after Max's accident, to Jonah Shacknai. Even Adam Shacknai himself took the stand. The trial would end with a verdict determining whether or not Adam, in the eyes of a judge and a 12-person jury, determining whether or not he was responsible for Rebecca Zahau's death. If Adam was found responsible, he would have to pay, not with time spent behind bars, like in a criminal trial, but with money. It's similar to what happened with O.J. Simpson. O.J. was found not guilty of murder in the criminal trial against him, but he was found guilty in a civil trial where it was ruled he was responsible for killing his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and Ron Goldman, and was ordered to pay a settlement to their families. 
But Rebecca's family says they didn't care if they ever saw a dime. To them, this was not about money. It was about proving Adam was not just there the night Rebecca died. It was about proving he was the one who killed her and nothing more. The family claimed they filed the wrongful death lawsuit simply as a means to bring the case to trial, to bring it into a courtroom and to bring what they believe is the truth in front of the public. A coroner had said Rebecca's 2011 death was a suicide and Rebecca's family sued to challenge that decision. And so seven years after Rebecca's death, surrounded by mysterious and bizarre clues, the case went to trial in 2018 with Adam Shacknai as the sole defendant. The plaintiffs were Rebecca's sister Mary, her mother, and her late father. They allege that on the night of Rebecca's death, Adam, who as we know was in town to visit his nephew, who was clinging to life in a nearby children's hospital, and who we know was staying with Rebecca at the Spreckles Mansion on the night she died, took advantage of the fact that he was alone at the sprawling estate with Rebecca. He saw an opportunity and he took it. He sexually assaulted her using the handle of a large chef's knife. Then, afraid she would report the crime, the suit alleged he hit her on the head four times with a blunt object, wrapped his hands around her neck and manually strangled her before staging the scene to look like Rebecca had committed suicide, taking every precaution to cover his tracks even painting a chilling suicide note on the bedroom door. According to Keith Greer, the attorney for Rebecca's family, it was during that attack that a neighbor heard a high-pitched scream coming from the Spreckles mansion and heard the sound of a woman yelling, help me, echoing into the night. That witness account was played in the trial. They also had a handwriting expert who testified he did not believe Rebecca wrote the note scrawled in black paint on the door. She saved him, can he save her? That expert testified that he looked at the letters in that message and compared it to Adam's writing. He said some letters seemed to be a close match, but it wasn't close enough to determine Adam was the one who wrote the message. Keith Greer argued that black paint marks found on Rebecca's chest and buttocks showed Adam touched her, even tormented her, with the black paint still wet on his hands. Dr. Sarah Wecht also took the stand. He had performed Rebecca's second autopsy after her body was exhumed. And during the trial, he came forward with a much stronger stance. He no longer thought the cause of Rebecca's death should be undetermined. Now, he thought it should be homicide. A first responding officer testified about the boot print found on the balcony where Rebecca's body went over. They claim that print came from an officer inspecting the scene, and only Rebecca's footprints were on that balcony. There was no murderer throwing her over and leaving a boot print behind. A forensic expert was called to examine all the prints, bloodstains, footprints, and anything like that from the scene. She was asked about a large chef's knife found in the guest room of the Spreckles Mansion. The knife had Rebecca's fingerprints on both sides of the blade, but none on the wooden handle. The expert explained that there were four possibilities. Either the knife handle wasn't touched, it was touched by someone wearing some type of protection covering their hands, like gloves, it was wiped clean or never held in the first place. The fingerprints found on the kitchen knife's blade 
line up to suggest Rebecca was holding the knife by the blade when her arms were already bound behind her back. So she didn't use it to cut the rope. Could she have been trying to free herself? According to Keith Greer, if she were holding the knife where Rebecca's prints were found, the blade would be pointing inwards toward the back. We allege that she woke up after she was unconscious and after she'd been tied up already, and she attempted to escape. A knife of this type was found in the room, may have been used to cut the ropes. But the sheriff said that, again, only Rebecca's fingerprints are found on the knife, so it must have been Rebecca who did this. But it was really odd because the fingerprints were on it like this, with a sharp part pointing towards you. It just doesn't make sense. But then when I go like this and hold it behind my back, the fingerprints all come into place. The expert called by Greer was also asked about the doorknob on the door to the balcony and the edge of the doorframe. She testified that both appeared to have been wiped down before investigators dusted for prints. She said she could think of no other explanation. It was an area where you should find prints. A doorknob that people touch, there should be something there. Yet there is nothing, indicating someone wiped it clean. Jonah Shacknai also took the stand. He testified that he had always been close with Adam. When he was asked if he had ever seen his brother Adam act in a violent way, his response was, never. It's inconceivable. Adam testified and was questioned about why he came into town. He claimed he had asked Rebecca if she thought it was a good idea, and she had said, follow your heart. He testified about going to bed alone in the mansion's guest house and waking up in the morning to get coffee and discovering Rebecca's nude body hanging from the balcony. He testified that he found a knife to cut her down and dragged a rickety broken table under her body and laid her on the lawn where he removed the gag and attempted CPR. I had a strong feeling that she might not be living, but if there was a one in a million chance that she could be, um, I was determined to uh, try to make that chance happen and uh, cut her down. The attorney for Rebecca's family played Adam's 911 call and said the call was fake. That when Adam made the call, he already knew Rebecca was dead because he was the one who had killed her. Emergency, what are you reporting? Yeah, uh, I, I got a girl hung herself. Okay, sir, is she yeah. still alive? She's still alive. Well, last time we saw her. Last night. Okay, is she beyond help? I'm compressing her chest right now. I'm, okay, hold on. What's, what, 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 what's your name? Adam Shackner. Adam was asked about the strange phrase he used in his 911 call to describe the situation. Quote, I got a girl hung herself, close quote. His reply was rather chilling, because that's what had happened. I got a girl hung herself. Adam's attorney insisted his client was innocent and was simply the person who discovered Rebecca's body. He wasn't the killer. The only thing he had done was try to save her. Did you participate ever in any act to harm or kill Rebecca Zahal. Most certainly not. But it was too late. He reminded the jury that there was not one piece of evidence, not one print, not one molecule of DNA that put Adam in that guest room, and not one 
but four different California law agencies deemed this was a suicide. Basically, what he was saying to the jury was, the Zahal family is asking you to substitute your judgment for that of four California law enforcement agencies. They're asking you lay people to substitute your judgment for all of these professional agencies. A compelling argument. During the closing arguments, Rebecca's family's attorneys put on quite the show for the jurors. He did a bone-chilling demonstration using a lifelike mannequin with long black hair meant to look like Rebecca and dangled it 82 inches in the air, and he had it hanging by the neck from a rope. 83 inches was the exact distance that Rebecca was found hanging from the ground when Adam Shacknai cut her down. He had the bedroom door taken off its hinges and carted into the courtroom so jurors could see the cryptic message, She saved him. Can you save her? Painted in the black, jagged letters. And he pointed to an overturned chair and knives found in the guest bedroom where Rebecca went over the balcony. All is evidence of a struggle between her and Adam. Greer admitted that, yes, police found no DNA at the scene except for Rebecca's. But he made it a point to say that it was remarkable that her DNA was on the rope and several other places in the bedroom, but there wasn't DNA on places it should be, like doorknobs, therefore proving the room had been wiped down by someone attempting to clean up a crime scene. He said, quote, no DNA where there should be DNA is consistent with items being wiped down. It supports murder, close quote. He also reiterated that the injuries to Rebecca's body were not consistent with hanging. She had abrasions on her hips and back, and her neck didn't have a severe enough injury that it would if she threw herself over the balcony and ended up in a tight noose. It would have caused way more severe injuries to her neck and possibly partial or full decapitation. Greer said the motive for this crime was, quote, the oldest reasons in the world, sex. But we have to ask, was the motive also revenge? The note written on the door, she saved him, can he save her, certainly seems to reference Rebecca calling 911 and attempting CPR on Max after his fall. So if this was murder, which one was the motive? Sex or revenge? Could it have been a combination of both? And are they that much different? Because I've said, rape, sexual assault, is not about sex. It's about power. It's about control. It's often about anger. And that meshes very well with revenge. Could this have been an act of exercising power and venting rage in a self-righteous way justified by bringing justice to one that you feel has done damage to you and your family. Adam's attorney fought back in his closing arguments, reminding the jurors that no one witness out of the 29 who testified said they believed that Adam Shacknai killed Rebecca Zahal. He said that the lack of Adam Shacknai's DNA didn't prove someone cleaned up. It was, quote, extremely powerful evidence that Adam was never there. 
that he had nothing to do with this death. His lawyer argued, quote, there's not a single speck of evidence to contradict him. And here is just something to think about. If you were trying to cover up a murder, if you were trying to make a murder look like a suicide, why would you write this bizarre note in paint on the door? Why not just write, I'm sorry about Max? Wouldn't that be more convincing? Maybe send a text to Jonah from Rebecca's phone. And why would you leave your victim gagged and bound? Wouldn't that be a red flag that points to murder and not suicide? Even the police who ruled it a suicide admitted that this was unusual. I would think if you were trying to cover your tracks, you would try to get rid of any signs that didn't look like a garden variety suicide. You don't need to tie a victim's hands behind their back if they are already dead. And Adam called the police to the scene, so he was in control of the timeline. Why wouldn't he have hid the gag and the bindings first if he was the one that had done this? The jurors didn't seem to be hung up on these same questions. Because after six weeks of testimony and less than 24 hours of deliberation, the civil jury in California voted 9-3 to three and determined Rebecca Zahad died at the hands of her boyfriend's brother, Adam Shacknight. I believe the jury deliberated a little over five hours. For the record, all 12 jurors present in the matter of Zahal versus Shacknight. The jury reached a verdict. Yeah. Did Adam Shacknight touch Rebecca Zahal with the intent to harm her? The answer is yes. They determined Adam Shacknight must pay Rebecca's family $5 million for the loss of her love and companionship. He was also ordered to pay an additional $167,000 for the loss of financial support she would have provided her mother and siblings had she not been killed. As the verdict was read, Adam's head just dropped. Now, he didn't have anywhere near this amount of money to pay Rebecca's family, and apparently his brother Jonah, who is a millionaire, stated to the family attorney that he would not be giving the family one dime. Adam is what would be referred to as judgment-proof because a judgment is worth what the person you get it against is worth. If the person you get it against doesn't have two dimes to rub together, if the person you get it against has no money, no assets, no worth, then that judgment is not worth the paper it's written on. Is it a moral victory? Yes. Is it something that says we went to court and this was adjudicated and within the legal system, justice was meted out and after these proceedings, a jury found by a preponderance of the evidence that it was more likely than not that Adam Shackney was responsible for her death. Would that convert to money? If he has insurance or assets, yes. If not, no. But was there value? There is potential value in the process of discovery. Because in a criminal case, Adam would never have to take the stand. He would never have to speak. Depositions would never be taken. Documents would never be discovered. But in a civil case, 
a lot of evidence is produced that can now be taken to the criminal prosecution, given to them and say, here, these are things you may not have known. Now, with all this information, does this reach a critical mass that you're willing to move forward with? We shall see. Outside the courthouse, Adams' attorney called the trial a gross miscarriage of justice, and in a bizarre rant, Adam vowed to appeal the verdict, telling the reporters gathered outside, I am standing tall. I'm standing tall. I'm not worried about these posers. They got away with something once. They got lucky. They say it's better to be lucky than good. They got lucky one time. I don't think they're going to get lucky again. A lot worse things have happened to a lot better people, so this is nothing to me. I'm disappointed, but I got plenty of fight in me. I got plenty of health. Well, a lot of people had criticism about those comments. People who believe he did murder Rebecca say they think he is the one who got lucky. And why would Adam be referring to this grieving family of a victim as posers? Posers mean pretending. Pretending to be what? But you have to remember, at this point, if we take what Adam is saying at face value, understand, he was innocently sleeping and tried to help their daughter and save her life. And in return, he was painted for years in the eyes of the public as a murderer. And now he has been painted as one in the eyes of the court and again dragged through the media as a murderer. Psychologically, people that are falsely accused are angry and belligerent usually from day one through the end of whatever process they are dragged through. They're not understanding. They don't like it. So you have to understand this may just have been him venting about the frustration of being falsely accused. And he's not just being painted as a murderer now. He's also being accused of truly despicable acts. He's being accused of being a sick and twisted man who sexually assaulted his brother's girlfriend and then killed her, taking advantage that he was alone because everyone was at the hospital with his dying nephew, who was only six years old, for God's sakes. Now, that is one hell of an opportunist and does not paint Adam as a very quality human being. Now, you have to wonder, if this wasn't suicide, and as Rebecca's family believes Adam did this, this isn't just an assault and a murder. This is an assault and a murder on a woman dating your brother while your brother's child, your nephew, lies about to die in a children's hospital, and you come into town, and that's when you decide that you would take this opportunity And remember, we're talking about someone with no history of violence, someone not known to have ever committed a crime of this nature. Is it likely that someone with no history of this, no history of violence, no history of poor impulse control, no history of sexual offense or violence, would be so selfish and narcissistic that they would take this opportunity and disregard all the emotional turmoil that their loved ones are going through and pile this on top of it. That takes a really malignant, narcissistic personality 
to not take into account the impact of their actions at a time when the people they love are stretched to the breaking point. He could not possibly have thought this was the best thing for his brother, who by all accounts he has always loved and worshipped. He could not have thought another scandal, another death, could possibly have been in his best interest. After the trial, Rebecca's family hoped the investigation into Rebecca's death would be reopened. As I said, now they can go to the criminal prosecutors and say, here's all this information. Here's the trial record. Here's what Adam had to say. Here's what was discovered. Because they still want someone charged criminally. But the San Diego County Sheriff's Department said, despite the civil ruling, despite the trial record, They were confident in their investigation, and they stand by their determination that this was a suicide. They released this statement after the verdict. The San Diego County Sheriff's Department is aware of the recent verdict in Rebecca Zahal wrongful death civil suit. We have cooperated with all parties on the presentation of evidence and testimony during the trial. Our thoughts are with the Zahal family as they relive the tragic death of their daughter and sister, Rebecca. In regards to the criminal investigation, the Sheriff's Department stands by the findings of the medical examiner's office and our investigators. These findings were supported by forensic evidence and medical examinations. We are always open to reviewing any evidence that could impact our conclusions. Additionally, we are also willing to meet with the Zahal family to look at any new evidence that came out of the civil trial. End quote. At this point, Rebecca's case has not been reopened. While Rebecca's family was ecstatic about the verdict, Adam wasn't found guilty. Guilty is not an option in a civil trial. Adam was found to be responsible for Rebecca's death. My sister was brutally murdered. She tried to escape, and just the thought that she knew she was gonna die breaks my heart. It just rips my heart out. The reality that Rebecca is gone is really going to hit me. I can't get her back. Our family can't get her back. But hopefully people will know that she didn't commit suicide and she was murdered and she doesn't deserve to be treated the way the Sheriff's Department treated her. If the Sheriff's Department doesn't reopen the case, then those who believe Adam Shackney killed Rebecca also believe he got away with it. Adam Shackney did appeal. And in January of 2019, The appellate judge stated that she was reluctant to throw out the jury's verdict, but that she too had questions. She wrote in her ruling, quote, the court feels remiss if it does not state that the sheriff's investigation leaves almost as many questions unanswered as answered, end quote. Then in another excerpt of the opinion, quote, Common sense says Rebecca did not paint the amateurishly painted message on the door. And if she did not, someone else did. Determining who wrote the message would certainly be circumstantial evidence pointing to who killed Rebecca Zahal. This was only one of numerous pieces of circumstantial evidence that puts the sheriff's conclusion into question. As a result, it is not unreasonable to still ask... Who killed Rebecca Zahal? End quote. Adam Shackney adamantly maintains that there's one thing that he knows. It was not him. 
He said apparently it didn't seem to do a lot of good in that trial because people will believe what they want to believe with no evidence. But before the judge could hear her final arguments, Adam's insurance company reached a settlement with Rebecca's family for $600,000. So the civil case was dismissed with prejudice and the jury's $5.167 million verdict was vacated. Now what that means is this. The insurance company settled around Adam Shacknai and they did so with prejudice, meaning that the suit can never be brought against Adam again. When the settlement was made, that was it. He cannot be sued for this again. The Zahau family cannot bring any kind of case against him for her death. This is over between the Zahau family and Adam Shacknai at a civil level. That doesn't mean he cannot be prosecuted, but as far as civil damages, this has been settled for $600,000, and he is not subject to further suit by the Zahau family. Now, Adam said he had no idea this negotiation was going on, and while he believed his insurance company stood behind him and believed his innocence, he guessed they were tired of, quote, throwing money at it, close quote. He said, and I quote, extortion is alive and well. Now, I don't know, and I wasn't there, but I have to assume Adam had to approve that settlement. Rebecca's family says they are not giving up and are now considering filing another suit against the San Diego County Sheriff's Department, and they say they won't stop fighting until they get Rebecca's manner of death changed from suicide to homicide. And you'll recall I said that medical examiners make two determinations. Cause of death, such as cancer, suicide, infection, asphyxiation, and then manner of death. And there are five categories. Suicide is one. Homicide is another. Accident. There are five choices. This is currently listed as suicide. They want it changed to homicide. Adam Shacknai is currently a free man. But Rebecca's family is holding on to the hope that someday Adam will be criminally charged in connection with Rebecca's death. Will that ever happen? Should that ever happen? You have been listening to all the evidence. I want to hear from you. Is there something we've missed? Is there some logic, some reasoning, some connecting of the dots that you have made as you've listened to all of this? All we are left with now are the burning questions and few answers. And we are left with the parties, Rebecca's grieving family, desperate for closure, desperate for justice. We're left with Jonah, who lost his young son and his girlfriend just days apart. Dina, with her dead little boy's room completely untouched. Nina, her twin, who spent years cast as a suspect while watching her twin sister's unbearable pain. And Adam, either a killer walking free or an innocent man whose life has been ruined by the shadow of suspicion that has followed him since the very day he touched down in California and entered his brother's mansion. So what do we do when there are no clear answers? How do we leave this? Well, until there are answers, the best thing we can do for both Rebecca, her family, and Adam to prove his guilt or perhaps his innocence 
is to keep asking the questions. I don't know Adam Shacknai, but I do know the Zahau family. I've talked to them, I've worked with them, and my hope for them is that they are at least able to compartmentalize this somewhat because as long as their lives are dominated by this turmoil, that means that they are paralyzed in terms of grieving for the loss of Rebecca because they have unfinished emotional business. And days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and you realize that in terms of grieving, in terms of healing, that you're right where you were the day you learned about her loss. And that's a terrible tragedy. And it's so important to realize that healing doesn't mean betrayal of her memory. Healing doesn't mean that you're giving up on her, that you're abandoning your pursuit of what you believe to be her killer, the wrongdoing in her life. The fact that you have joy in your life, the fact that you have joy when you think of her, does not mean that you have given up. The fact that you don't feel pain every time that you think about someone you've lost does not mean that you have accepted what has happened to them and that you're betraying their memory. The length and depth of our grief is in no way a reflection of the length and depth of our love for someone when they were alive. I hope the Zahal family never gives up until they have answers. But I also hope they give themselves permission to have some peace in their relationship with Rebecca and recognize that when I say compartmentalizing, it says we're going to work on this two hours a day or one day a week or whatever for the rest of our lives. We'll never give up on this until we're satisfied that we have answers, but we can't let it consume us for the rest of our lives. And to Adam, I say, if you are innocent here, then you would want for the Zahau family to have answers. You would want for them to get the peace that they deserve because you've done nothing wrong here. And the fact that they have caused you pain is something that you just have to work to find in your heart to forgive. And there are a lot of unanswered questions. Both sides of this tragedy have to agree with that as the appellate court observed. I always talk about Occam's razor, the principle of parsimony, that the simplest explanation is often the best. If it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Can I say that this was a murder? No, I can't. Can I say that there are a lot of unanswered questions that suggest that if this was suicide, it is certainly an unusual one? Yes. It certainly is an unusual one, and I am not convinced that Rebecca Zahau took her own life, nor am I convinced that Adam Shacknai is the killer. In America, depriving someone of their liberty, taking them out of the world and putting them in a cage for one day or the rest of their life is a very high standard of proof, as well it should be. Intuition, suspicion, doesn't even almost get there. The 
depriving someone of their liberty is a very high standard. It has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And that burden with regard to Adam Shacknai has not even almost been met. This was Mansion of Secrets, the mysterious death of Rebecca Zahal. I'm Dr. Phil. Mm-hmm.